welcome to the Mentors Military Podcast. Sitting here with my sidekick, Jason Belford. Hey, hey. Um, we're joined by a guest, Kelsey Sharon. And Kelsey, you're currently living out on the uh, West Coast side, what, Vancouver, Canada? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is that home for you? It is. I'm not from here, but it's been home since 2011. Okay. So, but you're originally from Canada. Yes. I'm from Ontario. Ontario. I don't know that much about Canada. So you can uh, forgive us Americans for not knowing a whole lot. I know that I've been to Vancouver, I've been to Toronto. Okay. So you've been to Ontario and you've been to British Columbia. So Uh you've been to both places. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. (laughs) Most people have that reference point of Toronto or Vancouver. That's pretty much it. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. is there anything in the middle uh, worth mentioning? Uh, It's pretty flat. There's Alberta. I mean, we're kind of Alberta is like the Texas of Canada. We have the oil and all that stuff, but not really. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, So Kelsey kind of growing up, how was it that you ended up going into the military and, and deciding to, to do that? Was it something that your, you know, your family experienced and you wanted to, to join because of them or what was the, the reason? And, and when did that occur, by the way, was it right out of high school or what? Yeah. So I, I come from a family of like no guns, no hunters, no military. I, oh, wow. I didn't know that I had anybody in the military in my family until I started writing my book and that's really sad because that's only about three years ago. So um, I had no inclination of, of a service member in the past. And I went into the military when I was uh, 18. I went to college. I left a really small town called Campbellford, Ontario. It's about half an hour, 40 minutes from the largest air base in Canada called the Trenton Air Base. So we knew of military in the area and things like that. But I left there and went to college at Algonquin College in Ottawa. And most people know what Ottawa is now because of the protests. So it's a great <laughs> yeah. reference point, but it's also the capital of Canada. <laughs> and so I went to college out there. Um, I ended up meeting a lady on a bus on Remembrance Day, which is Veterans Day for you guys. And we just, I don't know, something kind of hit with me, something about her. She was an elderly lady um, that had served and coming back, it looked like for coming back from the ceremony that day. And she just, something stuck, something stuck in a really serious, heavy way. And I end up uh, leaving college pretty much the next day and then joining the military uh, shortly after that and uh, getting sworn in pretty quick. And then uh, treat all of the tra- uh, training was like pretty smack bang up against each other. So not a lot of gaps. So tell us a kind of training that you end up going through. And, and I'm curious to know how different that is, of course, to the American forces, because you ended up going into artillery right off the bat, right? Yeah, because we so we've never segmented women out of combat roles. We've always had them. And we're really fortunate in that way, because I think it opens up opportunity for for people um, that maybe, you know, I know the Americans are just kind of dabbling in now, which is great because there's assets um, that can be utilized there with having women doing certain jobs that, you know, you're not used to. So for me, I was really lucky because right off the bat, I went into artillery. I originally wanted to go infantry and they were like, no, <laughs> why is that you're choosing i'm five foot and 104 pounds um but i had she's a badass though she's like pocket person she's like she is a tiny person that's this big of a badass i'm I'm so loud um so i just make up for it and loudness and 
so they just said, no, that's not for you. And I was like, cool, but I still want to do something very much forward on the front lines type job. And uh, they're like, well, there's armored and artillery. So they're like, let's put the smallest, you know, what do you think? I was like, I want to shoot artillery. I don't want to be in a tank. They're tiny and they compress and they freak me out. So I said, I'd like to do artillery. And they're like, okay, cool. And then I did, uh, we do all similar training as you guys. We have a basic training that we run through and then an SQ and a DP one, which is all your weapons, you know, your machine guns, your grenades, your Carl G's, all of that. And then you go into your trade specific training, um, which I did for artillery. And with that is mortars as well. But at the time I got in, I'd we love were to see you hanging 81. <laughs> we shoot one five fives. So <laughs> and load a one five. Yeah, <clears throat> it's, it's person, uh, she's half as strong as her personality. She's just hugging them in there. <laughs> it was it was interesting. It definitely was a I had to learn a lot of different technique um to to be able to run them. But at the time in 2009, the unit I was going with that I was deploying with, we were in in, in training when you're becoming an artillery or a gunner, we were shooting, I think it was the 105s. So that's what we shot live fire in Canada. And then when we got ready to deploy though, we switched over to the M triple sevens, the one five fives. So then we started shooting those and those have a hundred pound round. So <laughs> it goes different than a 40 pound round. So at the time I felt like armored might've been the better decision for me, but it's just, it worked the way it worked. And I'm grateful that I got to do it. I, I loved, um, I loved that job. A so lot. how long was the artillery portion of the training then? So I know basic training, it was 12 or 13 weeks. Can't remember okay. for the life of me. Um, and then your SQ, which is four weeks, which is your grenades, your machine guns, your, you know, all your other specifications that you're kind of working through um, your basic infantry type stuff. And then I, I want to say it was four weeks, four or six weeks. It's been so long to be frank. I don't remember four or six weeks of um, artillery specific. Okay. And I yeah. know the infantry guys, uh, some of them do longer. Uh, I think they have a little bit of a longer process, but I also know at that time we were, it was like course after course after course. And then we were the people that we were going to go post, like I got posted to the, like the officers were on like the parade square being like you, you, and you were all going here and we're deploying in April. So it was a quick, super quick kind of turnaround. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's like that all the time. That's just what it was like that year. It felt like everything was moving really fast. Sure. So mm -hmm. I'm curious. Did you already have a college education at this point? Or like a yeah, still don't. Okay. Because I was going <laughs> to ask you about that because it, it's very similar, I would assume, to the American forces where you, you could have gone the officer route if you had a college education or at least a number, a certain number of hours. And so that's what I was curious about, um, your choice in going infantry. I mean, I'm sorry, in going to enlisted route um, yeah. and wanting to go infantry. So I don't it, know that I would have wanted the officer route anyway, if I'm being... Yeah completely honest. I, yeah. I think wow. I've, I always wanted, and I was young and really, I, I just, you know, was still competing like heavily in Taekwondo. And I was still really looking always for like the challenge and the struggle. And so I genuinely wanted to be like sucking at that time in my life. Yeah. Like the idea of like, just being on the guns and being tired all the time and being in the dirt appealed to me. Now I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Full no. disclosure, she's a black belt in Taekwondo, no big deal. I'm a, well, I'm, a, I, I'm a second degree black belt in Taekwondo. Whoops, sorry. Oh, okay, correction. 
<laughs> so, so, so go back to that. So what was it that got you into Taekwondo very early? Was it something that your parents put you into or? Oh yeah. Okay. I was four. My, um, four. I started when I was, yeah, I started when I was four. It was, I was one of those like kid athletes. It was an issue. <laughs> like, so my mom, my mom was at the mall one day. This is as the story goes, because I'm pretty sure if I'm remembering it correctly, my mom was at the mall one day and they were doing like a demonstration, like these crazy board kicking things. And, uh, my mom was like called on the payphone because I remember it. I remember it so vividly. Now she called on the payphone and it was like on we had like a cordless phone and it was like new. And I remember being like, what's up, mom? I'm outside. And she's like, she's like, I'm going to sign you up for this thing. But remember, if you start it, you have to finish it. And that was the rule. So if I start an activity for certainly, you know, the trial run, like you got to finish the trial. Sure. Run. Sure. So I, at the time I was playing soccer, too, because my mom was a coach. <clears throat> And so it was my brother. And so we were occupied, but I was like, sure, let's do it. So then I did it and I went and then I got obsessed with it. And then I mm -hmm. lived in it. And then I did it in the mornings before school and then at lunch and then after school and then started competing. And then I was there on weekends and then I started fighting every month. And then I started complete competing in the, you know, provincials and the nationals. And just, I was obsessed with it. So I did that for the majority of my life. I think like 13 until I was 13, 14. And then my coach ended up going to prison. Um, so wasn't yeah. expecting that one. Yeah, no one is. It's a weird one. It's I saw <laughs> a lot of trust issues from that, my friend. <laughs> oh um, my God. Yeah, he he was he ended up going for I, I believe it was statutory rape with a teammate, so uh, like a minor. Whoa. Um, yeah. And when then I, belongs to him he's a diddler. Oh no, he's out now. Don't don't get it twisted. Um mm. and so he's out. And so I stopped fighting for a while and then uh, got in really heavy into rugby and then uh, moto <laughs> and then back to fighting in the military. I, I did my last fight when I was in the military and then I realized I didn't want to be kicked in the face anymore. So I stopped. And your husband's a, a retired professional motocross. He was on the trail, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a professional supercross racer for and I met him when he was racing. Yeah. What was your first duty assignment then? Where was it? So we, my posting, my first posting was uh, to Vecchio say Quebec, which was in um, Quebec, Canada, and it's a French-speaking uh, province. Um, they Did you speak French? No. Oh, okay. That's the that's like the joke. That's like the life <laughs> joke. I, I volunteered. Listen, I had an option to go to another posting, and then I gave it up so that someone else could go there. And I was like, fine, I'll go early. I don't care. So then I end up going. I was like, oh, we get to deploy first before them. Okay, I'll go. So we switched. Um, he had some health issues and I ended up going out to that regiment instead. And then I was like, sure, I can like learn French in six, seven months. Right. I mean, hmm. it's our second language in Canada. I know yeah, some yeah, of true, it, true. but no one speaks it. So I was like, okay, I guess I could learn this. And Spanish so I went there. I ain't got a clue. Yeah. <laughs> Spanish with your accent would be ruthless. Be it, it, it would definitely do on, on uh, Rock Thoughts and, and Ranger Thoughts would definitely be interesting, wouldn't it? Now you're going to have to now you're going to have to do that. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. So how long were you there? Um, so I end up staying. I was with them. I only end up doing four years in the military because by the time I was sworn in, did all the training, got posted to my unit. We were deploying. I got there and I got there in September, my unit in September of 2008. And we deployed in April of 2009. And in that time frame, we had a couple of big chunks of time off. 
um, because it was holidays, Christmas, then pre-deployment. And then we did some workup training um, in Texas and we did some workup training in Alberta. So we had, it was a very compressed amount of time and then we deployed. And then I was there with them until September. Um, and then I came home to Canada and I was put, I don't even know what I would call it. We, they didn't, they didn't call me for a while, <laughs> but I, I was just sent back to, to Ottawa to go to the hospital for some stuff. So I was there. I didn't have like an assignment, so I didn't really know where I was posted. I ended up going to one of the ranges out there during like retraining. I don't know. It was a weird situation, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it. Okay. So you ended up getting deployed as soon as you get there, basically. Yeah. And so how was that getting over there? And then all of a sudden the whole unit picked up and went, or did you end up meeting them over there? No, the whole regiment. So like okay, the whole we regiment. went, we okay. went to our regiment um, and it was Alpha Bravo Charlie and they had two guns in each, uh, in each uh, troop, gun troop. And we got there and everyone was already kind of in the troops. And then they knew they were getting five more new people, which mm -hmm. was us from the graduating class. So there was four other guys that came uh, with us out there that were also English speaking. So they, we got dispersed amongst the, you know, the whole regiment. And then we, yes, we were a whole, the way Canada works is like, we have a certain amount of combat arm bases and within those bases, we were doing a rotation cycle. Right. And so you've got Petawawa for, you know, infantry, artillery, anything, combat arms, you've got Alberta, which is, um, and then you've got, uh, Quebec. And then I believe, I think New Brunswick too, because they are the RCR out there. So you don't have, we don't have Marines and army and Navy and, you know, that, that, that small country, man. So <laughs> things go quick. And, uh, so we went, I went with them. So I was, I had a little bit of time with them to kind of learn French over the field X's and do those types of things and just constantly annoy my Sergeant and like, be like, Sergeant, qu'est-ce que, what is, iPhone en français, <laughs> like just, just like that. And then I would slowly start to integrate Kelsey, words. You speak French about as well as I do. If that, if that's how well yeah. it was going, it was, <laughs> oh, ruthless. My gosh. Yeah. oh my gosh. So then we got to learn all the commands in French and like all you run, how you run a gun in French and all of that. And yeah, so that it was just a little bit more of a mind fuck uh, than I would have <laughs> normally expected for myself, but it was good. We went with them. These guys were good. Uh, they knew what they were doing and I was, my Sergeant was on point. My officers were on point. Um, I had no issue with them. They spoke English really well. The officers did. My Sergeant was yes, no toaster. Now he can speak English. <laughs> um, he would, he would literally have a translator yell. Okay. So if he was like knife handing, just yelling at me for probably talking back, he would yell in French and then someone else would yell it in English so that I could have the full scope of understanding the punishment with, with the I same was passion. Yeah. With oh, the same passion. Yeah. 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 I make jokes about it all the time, but yeah, they they were good. So I went with them and we were, we ended up being in an American fob. So those were all Southern people and different accents as well. So that worked out interesting it was an interesting process to watch that work out with the french people and them well that's why you can understand me so well when we first met i was like oh yeah that makes sense <laughs> so you were doing these rotations how long would you guys end up doing the more forward rotation six six to nine months i believe most most of the time it was six at least the my guys yeah. were a six month rotation yeah okay and how did you end up supporting them at the I mean, were there, were there artillery bases at each one? 
Uh, yeah, so, is that what it was or? Well, I don't know exactly how Americans do it. I know for us at the time, depending on the fall we were at, was depending on where the guns were, where the guns would be going. And I know when the regiment went, there's three sets of guns there. So that's two in each one. So that's, you know, two, four, six, uh, M triple sevens. And so you had like fob massive guard, which was a Canadian fob where I think alpha or Charlie went. And then I'm uh, sorry, it was Bravo where Charlie went. Cause I was an alpha. And then one of the other ones would go off to another Canadian fob. We happened to get posted out to fob ramrod with uh, an American unit. So we were ripping out another Canadian artillery unit that was there that was supporting an American Americans. Okay. And so we, we went out there. And so it was interesting because a lot of the other Canadians were, were just with other Canadians, but we got to be with another country and kind of see how things work. And we worked differently. Um, you guys had things called chow holes. I was like, this is cool. I don't know what this sounds like, but we learned mm -hmm. like different things and it was great to, to get to know other people and different service members. And then I got to go with the British at some point. And so I got to see a little more of a scope of the militaries. It was, it was interesting for me for sure. Yeah. What did you end up going into then that ended up supporting that? I don't know. You guys have different names for it. All I got told was I was being borrowed. So borrowed. <laughs> I was being borrowed. I guess the British needed like a female. They call you guys call them, I think, female attaches. Yeah. CSTs. Yeah. 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 Whatever. I was told I was going to play. So I was excited and I was more than happy to go do that. Um, I guess so, that's what similar type of role uh, like our CSTs where you end up going in with the uh, the force and you end up uh, sequestering when the women get sequestered off, you're talking to them about what's going on and the activities, what the male or males are doing and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. I do that. We did a lot of that, but we were, I was, I don't, I was going to say fortunate. That's horrible. We had a really shitty operation. <laughs> um, I got to shoot a lot and that was fun for me. I was glad to actually get to, do something different than just sitting at the fob like firing artillery is interesting because you know what you're landing it on but at yeah. the same time it's just you're so far removed from it and i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but i knew at the time i was you know rep i was repetition on the fob you know you want some change i wanted to go do something different i always wanted to be infantry from the get so i was more than happy to go out and support um and do whatever was needed it was nice no one told me what to do they just knew that I had a way of handling the women and kids that everyone would just leave me be. And I would often get mistaken um, by the Afghani men, but like a, as a man, like as a small man, they, they would grab me and freak out when I would go to go in the room um, because my hair was bright blonde and it was tucked into my helmet. And so I just looked like a tiny small man <laughs> and it was, so that was always a, you know, it was an interesting thing. I was very lucky. I, I had a, I got to meet great people. We had a, you know, I was lucky to meet the people I met, but I, you know, it was, it wasn't an easy deployment and there's a reason why I end up being medically released and that operation holds <laughs> all the yeah. cards to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can only imagine. I mean, I, um, we used to have uh, one of the original hosts of the show, uh, was a CST at one time frame. served, uh, actually with guys from 75th Ranger regiment, um, Delta force as well. And, you know, saw a lot of actions matter of fact uh there's a book uh that's she's actually portrayed within and such uh because she lost um someone within one of the battles who uh got into a they got into a a pretty bad firefight they were trying to escape she stepped on an ied and um her and a couple other rangers 
ended up uh, dying during that mission set. So um, at any rate, I certainly understand that. <clears throat> and is that, is that book Ashley's story? Yeah, that- Ashley's. Yeah, Ashley's war. Yeah, yeah. My buddy's dog. Uh, he, uh, Daryl Smith. He, great, great friend of mine. One of my best friends, and he, uh, he has a Belgian Malinois, and he named her Ash because he was friends with Ashley. So, yeah, that was uh, that was a major thing. And in Ashley's War, it talks about um, the initial women that went into the CSTs, and it's actually a very good book. I understand that they're they're looking at maybe making it. Reese Witherspoon has the rights to it to make a movie. Um, nice. so at some point that may come out, but I think up until that point, you know, it was that fine line of women not being allowed in the front lines and the CSTs were at least what America knows of, of women being close within combat to kind of change that and the, the training, some of the training and stuff that they went through. And in the early GWAT days, um, they experienced quite a bit, you know, during that time period. So, yeah, uh, it's, it was interesting, too, because I, I found out that like um, we had another there's another French woman that got pulled from one of the I think from either one of the guns or from an armored unit to go as well with me. And I remember we got there together and I know that her she because that whole operation wasn't good for for any anyone at any point. And the guys that she was with, they had some shit go off as well. And it was a. I know that that operation put a lot of people down for a long time and there's still people that are going through it with how rough that was. Um, and then a few weeks after the unit that I was with, when I was gone, they went out again and got rocked hard again. So there, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people didn't realize that women and go do those positions and kind of all over. I mean, look at Jack yeah. and Scott, she, um, she, she's a, you know, American special forces, like she's a beast. I was just with her at the warrior angel foundation, um, four by four by 48. That woman is like a warrant officer. She's terrifying. She's terrifying. (laughs) I've never seen a woman rock like that in my fucking life. It's impressed. It's beyond most like no one could get, (laughs) she's impressive. And so it's, it's nice to see that. The only thing I would like to see change is I would like to see, um, America do it the same way Canada has it with a one standard. Yeah. I think that's the only thing I would like to see. I think that's necessary, um, for the safety of, of like the military and individuals fighting in it. I just think it's should all be fair. Yeah. Well, I don't think you'd get any pushback from either of us. I know, um, Jason, this is a topic that we've talked about, especially around, you know, at least in regiment, there is one standard and yeah, there is. And that's what, you know, separates, you know, like the Shana Koss and the Sarah Peppa's like those women, like, I mean, Sarah's probably your size. Um, and Shana Koss, uh, she's probably your size, but a little thicker. Like she's, she's an insane running, rucking physical, like, physical specimen so so is sarah she's a little tiny thing she's she's a physical specimen both of them have ranger tabs and leaders you know really good leaders too um and i i, I would i'd take any of them with me but uh with the one standard like it doesn't matter who you are in regiment like you it, from the rco to the private like it's one standard across the board gender neutral and if you can achieve that standard and be selected to serve in that capacity like you're the person for the job 
Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, and that's, that's an important factor because I know we get a lot of, uh, or we get some people who start to push back and write us or whatever and talk about, you know, the physicality and I don't want, you know, of the 200 pound guy wouldn't want to serve with or whatever. Um, it's always interesting comments that we end up getting back. But, you know, when you're making, when you're having a single standard, then it means that to your point, Kelsey, it doesn't matter whether you're a 145 pound man or woman, there is a standard that you have to meet. And as long as you both met the same standards, now the wear and tear on the female body over time is much different. You know, oh, it just sucks. I mean, it's going to yeah. suck either way. You're, you're, it will no doubt about it. You know, you know, it's, but it's also look at it this way. I think, uh, I think there's a difference when you put effort into your body too, right? I think it's going to suck, but I think there's preventative and healthier ways of handling stress on the body than we've ever had. So I think as long as you're being good to your body, it's going to last you longer. So if you're in a position like that, eating healthy, maintaining certain, you know, muscle mass, like really doing things that are only going to help, you know, give you longevity. I think those are all possibilities, but either way, it's going to suck. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know too many veterans that are not, don't have bad knees, bad neck, bad back, everything, <laughs> bad something, right? Yeah. Jason, how many, how many surgeries and yeah, all of them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's just all of, I was going to put a tweet out the other day that it was, I think it was something along the lines of like, what do I miss the most of uh, freedom and not having back pain? Like just having the back of a 20 year old again, like, it's just like, oh, why man. not? Yeah. Yeah. My, I, it was the other day, as a matter of fact, I, I did something, I didn't hardly even move that much. Um, but I just kind of lifted my head and it popped and I went, Oh, like that. And my wife heard it and, you know, said something about what, what was that? And, she, and I said, that was my neck. <laughs> and, uh, it's just that, you know, snap crackling and popping and stuff that you yeah. get, but it also ricochets down your whole body and your, <laughs> the, the nerve and the whole bit. So anyway, we could go on for a whole hour <laughs> of this podcast talking about our ailments. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, no doubt about it. Uh, the, there is a, there's a, physical difference uh, between men and women and uh, but uh, the role that the CSTs took uh, within those combat types of uh, positions and everything were very valuable at that time frame to get information to find out what's going on to understand who's coming and going within the, the little villages and those types of things and uh, were very beneficial now there'll also be those that'll say at least for the Americans that there were CSTs that you know guys because they were female uh people are uh, females there uh, within the combat zone. It didn't fare out very well. You know, there was uh, extramarital affairs and everything else that happened. But in terms of the combat role, um, it was one of the things that actually, I think, changed um, our country in looking at whether women should serve in combat roles and, and had them at least uh, take a harder stance on it, a harder look at it. So it, it was a, uh, it was kind of a trailblazer and sometimes that's what it takes. There's going to be good. There's going to be bad or whatever from it, no matter what happens. But I've worked just beside I've I've RFS and work with dudes that I would much rather have a Shana, a Kelsey, a, a, a Febo like and I tell them that to their face like <clears throat> dude, she does all the standards and don't whine. Where's the kit run crushes the raw crushes the rat, uh, selection crushes the RPAT like drags me on Skedco, like you can't pass a damn five mile run at 45 minutes pace. 
Now you got a ranger tab. Congratulations, you and one percent rest of the army. Like, I don't give a shit about that. Like, that's uh, the thing. Uh, so many people they they have a judgment, and 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 to the point of like people being like, "What well, caused extramarital affairs?" No, homie, keep it in your pants. Then, like, yeah. like don't yeah. like don't get it twisted. I've been in a fucking war zone when there's not a lot of women. Tell someone where to get off. And then there's there's this the thing like I've had this conversation where the sexual assault rates in the United States military are astronomical. Yeah, they are. Yeah, it's a problem. And yeah, it got worse when women came in because men can't control themselves. Women don't take the responsibility because you can't get your ego out of the way like that's men in the military have been assaulting other men in the military well before women came in men in the military just aren't willing to talk about it that's the difference it happens we all know someone and they don't want to talk about it at all there's nothing to do with women being women that comment that's never you know like men trust me women start shit just as much as men do and anybody who wants to sit there and say that you know it got worse. It got worse because people's egos and them abusing their power got worse. That's what happened. Women didn't start it. Men were just assaulting men. They just weren't talking about it. <laughs> Fuck out of here with extramarital affairs being our fault. Kelsey, so, how was your reception into um, like when you went from one that job, your normal job as a what we call them gun bunny, but um, yeah, you know, like. Everyone uh, says that. That's okay. How would how is your job going from that to you know the CST role in reception from the the men that you you know went over there to work with? Were they like just like awesome or how how that reception go? The Brits, yeah, they were great. I love them. I love some of them. Some of them are dicks. <laughs> um, I love most of them. They were great. I talk about them fondly. I still talk to the platoon sergeant. I still talk to the medics I worked with. I still talk to the guys um, that I got the I, the privilege of serving alongside. I I hold them in the highest esteem. Some of them I couldn't care less, you know. But I these guys that that you know helped me through a lot when we went through a few situations. Um, it was, it's invaluable to have those type of people in your life. And so I hang on to a very, you know, good subset of them and their reception when I first came to them was, was a little comical. I, they were very kind. Um, they were kind of mouthing off just as ones do. And, but the difference is I would just give it back. And I kind of, I garnered a nickname called mouth because I'll just mm. yell right back, but it was, it was my they didn't treat me any different. They allowed me to kind of go do my thing. That was the thing I was told as you were there, follow them around, follow the bomb dog. When there's women get called up, go do your thing and we'll let you do it. We expect you to know how to handle yourself. Um, you know, I had never been outside the wire at that point. I was always on an M triple seven at that point. I had no situational awareness at that point. I was flying as blind as I possibly could. And I was 19. So, you know, I did as one 19 year old did and just said, yeah, I'll go jump on the roof or yeah, I'll volunteer. Um, I respected these guys so much. I wanted to be seen as a value. And so I tried my best to, to act accordingly. And they treated me as such. When we got back from that op, and I had to go and sit 
with the British uh, MPs and do a few days of incident report writing and things like that. That was my first experience of death and really violent death that that. And so they the subset of guys that was with really did welcome me and talk to me and help me through that. While I was at CAF, I got to go over to after I was done that I got to go over and hang out with them. We had a barbecue the one night and I got to kind of leave my guys and go do my thing. And then at the ramp ceremony, um, I got to stand with them when we, we sent some people home. And so I was, it was great. I, I love those dudes. They, they kept me alive and I'm grateful for them. And I would, would have gone with them every, at every opportunity after that, if they asked again, or if I was told. Yeah. When you went, so when you integrated with them, were you, was it to that big firefight? Was it the first one out the gate? Yeah. So we were, the whole week was shit. Uh, so we <laughs> it fucking sucked. The whole week sucked. <laughs> I, so I got there. Uh, I was supposed to get to the, I was supposed to come from my frob to calf the day before. So I would have had a day and a half to go and get to know them really quick. Um, I get dropped with them, but I end up, the Chinook that went to come to come was taking fire at some point. So they turned around and they didn't come get me until the following day. So that day I got dropped off at calf in the afternoon. And then I went and met with the RCMP, um, to get some zip ties and stuff, which was fun and some gloves. And then I went and met with, got dropped off at the British gates and was like, here they are. <laughs> Kelsey, this is so-and-so, so-and-so this is, sorry it was burns at the time burns this is so and so this is so and so you're going with them now bye it was like being dropped off at daycare <laughs> so I, and then we left that night at, at one in the morning okay that, so I, that mission was the one that went to shit oh just all shit <laughs> the, so yeah. was it uh was it with british sbs or sas is that what no Okay. No, I didn't. I didn't go with any of them. Uh, as far as I was told, I was with I was moved around a lot. So there was like as far as because I have people being like, like telling me because they're like, so I had because I had no fucking situational awareness when I meant like I didn't know who what the objective was. And I didn't know <laughs> how many people were even on this. I just knew that I would get moved around from this group of humans to then this group of humans and then go back over to that group of humans and do it as much as I was told. And then I would be shuffled to go in each different compound. And so some people say, oh, she was over here. She was never over there. I'm like, homie, I was over there. And then I was over there. Like I didn't, that's how many different people I had around me. Um, and so I was in, I was in firefights with one group and then I was with another for a death. And then I got moved back to this one. So then these guys didn't think I was over here. So they didn't think I was involved in that, but I was involved. Like, do you get what I'm saying? It was yeah. a real, it was a really convoluted fucking mess. And so I was in different situations with different people. And I was the, the day that everything was really, really bad. The day that McLaren passed away was, um, That day I, I was with, I was with a different subset of guys. And then I think the next day I went, uh, the situation with the rifle on the roof, I was with a different set of guys. Um, and so I was shuffled around, um, and it made, made that week feel really crazy. And I, 
I know it was rough because other, other guys got hit, um, not too far away. And so it just, I was, I don't say I was lucky where I was every time, but I was lucky enough to be able to leave that operation in one piece. Yeah. So was, um, I would imagine that you had not only just uh, some of the post-traumatic stress, but you TBI as well from some of the concussions. Um, was that because were you later diagnosed as having TBI? I guess is what I was going to ask. Yeah. So I just found out <laughs> that I have one. Um, I was at uh, the uh, Resiliency Brain uh, Center in, in Copel, Texas through Defenders of Freedom. Like that's where Jason and I actually met. Mm-hmm. And um, I was there for that because I didn't realize that I had one. And it's not only from that, it's also from, we now understand the amount of concussive blast that comes off of artillery guns. Mm -hmm. And we understand it now with things like mortars and Carl Gustafs and, um, small arm fighter. And we saw now we are starting to really see these things pile up. And obviously I, the majority of mine most likely would have been artillery. I stand beside them like many other people do in close proximity to firing these things off on a repeat basis over four year terms. So there's definite, you know, concussion blasts coming off of that. And then in all your training, you, you use every machine gun, you use every Carl Gustav, you use every M72, you use them all. So try them all. So, you know, those things add up for sure. But yeah, I end up getting, Diagnosed. And it was medically, I was medically retired from the military with, um, due to PTSD at the time when it's PTS now, but PTS. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I saw like for the TBI stuff, I I saw a huge impact for me, but, and being, getting help out there, um, in Dallas with doc G and everybody, but for focus on Kelsey, like, so when I first met Kelsey, like day one, when she showed up, you could tell like, her pigment, everything like Kelsey looked now was different than Kelsey then. And like everything, like from like how she smiles to her, yeah. her like glow, the whole nine yards. Like at week two, like whenever I was, uh, I did a little FaceTime with her. Um, it was just night and day and attitude and everything. Yeah. Yeah. You were on, it was so funny because they're like, he's going to buy. They buy new shoes. They buy new shoes when they're on week two. And and then I remember you texting me the day I got there. You're like, hey, I'm going to buy new shoes. And I was like, <laughs> I had talked to Doc G after. She's like, all the guys buy new shoes. All the women go buy like a sweater, like something colorful. And I was like, I went and bought a pink sweater. <laughs> this guy went and bought pink. I mean, bought some shoes. That's hilarious that there's a pattern that they actually yeah. have like that. Yeah. TBIs wow. are interesting, man. They're, uh, they're a weird thing, but yeah, I didn't know that I had a TBI. I just, I'm in the process now of getting a rating for that. Um, because that's not something that we paid attention to. Yeah, no, you're the, absolutely the, the right. There's a freedom thing. Like, uh, her, uh, Kelsey's husband had, he went through cause the TBI is really important, you know, cause your brain has only got one of them. Right. So, um, it's so important to like realize that. Cause you know, I hate, I'm a, jumping into Kelsey's story, but that's fine. Like her husband, um, I just hit highlighted, but her husband like was having issues and went through several different like doctor's visits, like what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong. And comes out like he, he had a like a severe TBI and after the defenders of freedom program in Dallas with the RTMS training and all the other stuff that they do. Like, you can ask Kelsey, obviously I don't live with him, but uh, 
she's like a 180 after he came out of the program. Yeah, it's it's insane. It, he, he was circling the drain, and it was a really, really rough uh, time there for him. Like he was completely, um, you know, incapacitated for a long period of time. And they've that that you know the brain was the resiliency brain clinic man. They're, they they work some magic down there. They do, and they took Brady right away. And so, yeah, he's right. That Brady was at the clinic that Jason and I were at uh, two weeks before me, and then he came home, and then we traded off, and uh, I went down, and so we both got to uh, work on that and see massive improvement. So yeah, no, it definitely is important for sure. Yeah, we've talked to another guest. I uh, haven't dropped that episode yet. That um, uh, around some of the same things that you guys uh, just went through, and people saw very um, positive results from like the stellar ganglion block and um, receiving that for the post traumatic stress. But I've heard even more positive things from um, really working on the traumatic brain injury through the types of treatment that you guys went through, and you know the results like you're describing, um, very life changing. And so I'm really fascinated by this because um, I've seen some of the crazy equipment. I know it's a lot to do with like magnetics and everything else um, that, you know, that has been described and of course seeing you guys video and such, but just going through that experience, was it something that you started recognizing right off the bat almost immediately uh, from the treatments of, you know, the way you approach things, the way you see things, you know, the whole bit or kind of helped me through that. For me, I, I would say, um, I'll go first since I was a week ahead of Kelsey, but like at the end of week one, I was like, was, am I supposed to feel something? Because I don't. And I was like, I was like, oh, okay, okay, well. And like I talked to Ron and I was like, he's like, hey. This is Ron O'Farrell who went through it ahead yeah, of Yeah, Ron O'Farrell, yeah. yeah, yeah. Great guy, love that guy. Um, he's like, man, you know, if you're just happy, and it and it only lasts for two days. That's two more days of happiness, and thanks for it. So, uh, going into that weekend, like I was like, I don't really feel like a whole lot. But then uh, some other treatments that I did along with that, and then also in about probably the third day of week two, um, I realized because I, I was like. One of the things, the reason I went is because I was like super low depressed, man. I was like, I can't get out of this hole. And like, I was just like, I can't, I would try to run. I would try to work out. I, you know, everything was just depressed. It was like, everything was, I was just depressed about everything. Stubbed my toe, fucking doors unlocked. Oh, it's so bad. Everything was bad. Uh, I couldn't get out of it, but it was like week two, like Tuesday or Wednesday, I was like, I haven't been depressed. I haven't had that. That's weird. What? And I started realizing, like, I had not been in depressed or anxious at all. And it was like anxiety and depression had like literally gone. Wow. And I've dealt with things since I've been home, and I'm like, ah, need a buff. Like, I'm. I feel, I don't feel like depressed. I mean, you get a little anxious about like a different, like you got something coming up, whatever, like whatever, that's different life stuff. But yeah, like just being that way all the time. No, I ain't. And I, I feel myself thinking about situations. Like I, I'm like, that's different for me. Cause usually I'm like reacting immediately. 
you know, and then changing the magazine and then trying to deal with that disaster. <laughs> but now I'm like, what is the thought process behind this? Like, what, what is the, what is the end state that I want to see mm-hmm. in this conversation? And that's something that I wouldn't have done before. I would have just gotten super pissed off and just ran in the opposite direction of the shit show. What about for you, Kelsey? For me, it was, I don't It's the first week I, I, I was just finishing the We're Angel Foundation run. Um, so I finished that Sunday night and started on Monday. And so I was oh, wow. exhausted. I was exhausted anyway. Um, I noticed uh, about day three, the, the level of exhaustion like was different. It felt like different things. I could feel parts of my brain like hurting <laughs> legitimately, like different parts of my head. It was very odd. And I noticed that on the weekend, my first, like the weekend, I was in a lot, a lot of pain. It was like excruciating. Like I couldn't get out of bed. Felt like someone was hitting me over the head with a sledgehammer. Because of the treatments. Yeah. And it's because they were turning my brain. Like they're, they were, my brain was actually activating things in my brain weren't working and things started to fire. And that's like, I was having these, you know, migraines. And then all of a sudden, like every, cause every day before that I was, I had vertigo. I had the low grade migraine. I thought was just normal. My eyes shook like all the time. I thought that was oh, wow. just like normal. Yeah. So like, if you look at my chest, it looks like someone just like colored the eye. It's not good. <laughs> um, and so I started all of a sudden I woke up on Sunday and I started to have no pressure in my head anymore. And it felt like things had lifted and then I started sleeping and mm. then about on the, I had a couple really rough days cause it, it can be really difficult because it does also bring up, turn your brain on and it turns off parts of your brain that maybe are dormant because things were so shitty that yeah. <laughs> your body you just them. goes, Nope. Mm. And cuts that mm-hmm. off for protection. And you can't help what kind of comes back and you can't help what you remember. So those made the PTS things a little harder for a little bit. And then I think it was the Wednesday, like it, it was like, I did a 180. I felt like a completely different person. My ability to think clearly was there. My everything from like my temperature regulation and my hands and everything was good. I was sleeping. Things were just changed. It was crazy. It was the hardest mm-hmm. thing to understand. And it just got better. It's been getting better um, since then. Yeah. Now, in the case of Ron, I think Ron had to go multiple times. Uh, he was kind of scheduled. So you guys have gone once, correct? Both of you. And I might have to go back, but you, you know, like for Kelsey, she knows because she sat in the chair with the machine that was turned on for me. Um, yeah, the TMS machine, the transcranial yeah. magnetic uh, stimulation. Well, yeah. I love it. It feels so good. She, she sat in it with me, and it's like. <laughs> His was way more intense than mine. I'll tell you that right now. So it's very different, right? And it's all tailored to each person and the severity that they have and they work on. Uh, I just did a podcast with Doc G today that actually it came out today and we went over everything we do and why we do it and how they do it and how long they do it for and uh, learning plenty of different like techniques that you can do at home that help alleviate those things. So once you leave, they leave, they 
you leave with tools and homework mm -hmm. and things to do to keep improving. So, you know, doing saccades, doing your eye movements, doing, you know, different practicing of movements of, with the body, you know, doing finding a place that does TMS, like we're going to keep doing TMS up in Vancouver. Shocking the shit out of your tongue. Shocking the shit out of your tongue. Like there are <laughs> things that you can do that can keep helping you progress. And that's really what it is. It's because it's work. It's it's not you go there in two weeks and it's fixed. Like mm -hmm. it's legitimate work. And mm -hmm. if as long as you keep on top of it, you'll keep improving or you'll get, you know, keep getting a little bit better as it goes. So that and then getting you chemically balanced is really important as well with with TBIs, right? Yeah. I mean, chemically balanced is just one of those things that, that you're talking about eating healthy, you know, sleeping, yeah, right. Yeah. Like yeah, I vitamin don't supplements. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever heard yes. of this thing called, um, inside tracker? Mm -mm. So it's, uh, I'll just plug it for him. I'm pretty sure Andrew Huberman has a really dope discount for inside tracker. And cause I say it because it's, it's not crazy expensive, but it's worth it. Um, what it is, is you go get your blood work done. And you check all these different levels, right? You check all of your hormones and your food and your, you know, mm -hmm. your vitamins, all of that stuff to make sure that you're good. Um, thyroid, all of it. You plug your results into there and it tells you and shows you on a graph how to improve, what to improve on, where you're sitting. And then it charts that data point. And I got to tell you, when something goes wrong in your life with health and you have that backup data to give to a doctor yeah. to go, this is doing this. And we know, and it started here. I'm telling you that's invaluable. And it's also preventative, right? You can teach yourself and learn. It can, they can teach you how to eat better or take a supplement to fix that so that you then get in healthy range and you check your blood every three months, every six months, and just keep an eye on your health, right? Those things yeah. are really good. Um, so it's basically just like getting a baseline data point. And yeah. now, so now you're getting the blood work. You're actually able to see the chart and the variance that's uh, occurring over time. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 Brady and I do that now. And we did that well before um, the first incident he had when he dropped uh, last year. And that's invaluable. That stuff is, is, is incredibly worth having. And that was one thing we talked about with the TB, uh, TBI stuff was like, there's an app you can get for your watch. If you have an iPhone, an iWatch, an Apple watch, whatever the fuck these things are called. My God. Yeah. I think um, Apple watch. Yeah. Apple watch. <laughs> it's an iWatch. What are they called? There's whatever, so many devices. Know. I'm on yeah, all Apple I'm with products. You. Yeah. I just, every, they have, they own my life. Phone, yeah. I can talk into it. And yeah. To... I can talk into it, but it's not really like a phone. So anyway, uh, they have like great apps on there that literally act similar, like a whoop strap. And it helps, you know, where your body is at. So it, you know how much you can give and push to be optimal. Yeah. And those things are all incredible to, to health and understanding your brain, especially if you're a vet or you're somebody who's had any sort of blast exposure or head injuries, like professional athletes, knowing your body, knowing how to fix that stuff is, is, is the only way to thrive at this point. once you have head injuries, did they, did they talk to you guys about PTS? Because I know that this is now being researched as well for post-traumatic stress. Um, so did they, they, talk about maybe that there could be benefits from that as well, or was it primarily focused on traumatic brain injury? It was, kind of it's a little bit of both. It depends on the person. I think like for me, I went in and I had been, I have a treatment doctor that I've been with since 2009. So I, I, you know, understand how to handle that, who to call da 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 da. da. Um, some people, depending on the therapies you're doing there have more of a PTS side I was there specifically just because like my brain was, a, was 
I have things like dysautonomia. Like my brain was just a mess and we needed to do well, a lot of work. The great thing front. about it is about the program in general is that, I mean, there's a thousand of great things, but one of the best things I appreciated was, you know, we go to the doctor and it's a general purpose. Like you've got all these symptoms and you must have this, or you, you know, everybody that we will treat this way because they have that or whatever. Um, that's the generalization of like going to get help with anything you typically do. But here during the, the, um, the defenders of freedom program, we literally tailored to exactly what your needs were. Like you first day you spent all day doing like little mundane tasks, like that you were annoyed with, you know, everything. Yeah. Everything has a, you're like, what the hell am I doing this? And everything has a purpose that you really don't see until she got, says, hey, all right, come in here and we'll spit out your results. And she shows you this paper and be like, you're all fucked up. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, you have a problem um, here, here, and here. And, and, they also right. correlate here. <laughs> like Doc G told me, he's like, you're, you know, Jason, you're, you're a great guy. You're just dead inside. It's fine. Wow. You feel nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah. you know, it's like my nerves are shit, like mine, like hitting on my elbows, on my knees. Like, she's like, we're just going to get a bigger hammer. And she's like whacking and my, my body's not responding. Like I never moved nothing. And she's like, he was dead fine. inside and I was hyper like, yeah. like if you come near me, I just jolt. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm the complete opposite. So it was interesting. It was an yeah, interesting no, process. Interesting. Well, it's so fascinating because people are going to be listening to this and there's all kinds of uh, information that's out there now about uh, what is it? RTMS. Is that what you just said? Or what is it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. RTMS. Yep. Yeah. And um, again, they're using it for even in some cases, I think they're trying to, to work with um, people from um, gosh, not just uh, GWAT and, and OEF and IEF, uh, OIF veterans, but they're also even going back to Desert Storm veterans and trying to help them in some cases with some of their um, their challenges. But um, in the case of uh, the RTMS, um, I, I mean, like Stella Ganglion Block, there's people that said that they had, and I know somebody very close. Well, that I had, had both. Yeah, you have. And and Paul and, and another person that we've had on the show that I know, Kyle, um, very well, have both had it. And Paul's had multiple. Kyle, I think, has only had yeah. one. But the life-changing moment that it happened or that happened for Kyle on the one, um, you know, I shared with him about this type of uh, additional um, availability and stuff, you know, through the program that you described. What was the, the name of the, the organization again? Defenders of Freedom. Defenders yeah. Of freedom. And, there, and there are many others that I think the VA is looking at this as, as well. But I told them to look into it and to apply because the the results that I've been seeing from people that's been coming on the podcast or yourself, Jason, you talked about it, and Ron, and it's been amazing. Uh, the differences that we're starting to see from veterans. Yeah. And I've had I had both. So the Stella Ganger block, it, it was a right up front like it was pretty decent it was okay like it kind of calmed me down a little bit right and, um but it didn't do anything for like anxiety or depression um it it i felt calm you know like just mm, mundane didn't. what about your fight or flight because in kyle's yeah. case that's what the main thing was and for paul yeah that was mine so my yeah my uh fight or flight hormones through the roof and, you know doc would tell you doc g was like i don't it's insane, Jason. Um, cortisol, right? Living. Yeah, my cortisol is just off the charts. And she's <laughs> like, it's crazy. So, 
Um, she's like, you've literally been surviving on cortisol your entire life, probably. Yeah. Wow. But um, so uh, it, the Stella Ganger block, it took that down, right? Like I felt like, okay. Um, but it didn't help anything with the depression or the anxiety or, you know, anything like that. Um, but it did kind of calm me a little bit, give me, you know, a little bit of relief, if you will. And to my point is I, uh, one of the doctors that I went to in, um, San Antonio, uh, I linked him in with, um, Donna and they talked for a while on the phone. He does the blocks all the time and they, uh, he's really interested in like their program because um, like I said, he gave it, he, he's a great guy. gave the shot twice. Uh, and I, he, he called me, checked on me one day and uh, he's, he's like, Hey, Melvin, how you doing? I was like, great. And I told him about what I was doing. I was in Texas actually at the time. And um, he's like, wow, I want to know more about it. He's like, I, I, I can hear it in your voice. He's like, you sound great. He's like, I can tell, I can tell because, you know, he spent two weeks, three weeks with me himself. And he's like, I want to know more about this program. I can hear it in your voice. I can see, I, I, it's just, you're totally different from talking to you when I talked to you a couple weeks ago and I want to know more about it. So I got them two linked together and, and uh, Donna's like, we had a great conversation. And, uh, you know, the yeah. problem is the VA has this machine. They have yeah. it. They just yeah. don't know how to use it. They don't. And, and yeah. they won't come to people who like doc knows how to do it professionally. You know, they're like too prideful, I guess. That's how we do the military sometimes. But um, at the end of the day, like they have it and they have all this research and stuff, but instead of writing a prescription, man, write a prescription for the guys that come to come to get this treatment. No, that, it makes them too much money. Lives. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Words are you saying? Money isn't saving lives though. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, but that's I, you're but exactly the v- right. But the VA, if you just, if you keep taking it instead of like solving the problem, like this, it's just such an easy solution for them. I think there is a program that's out there now, but what they said, uh, or at least what I've seen is that they're doing, um, you could get the treatment or you could get the placebo and you're not going to know which one you get. So, because they're it. doing the study on it, right? So, <clears throat> right. So there may be, I don't know how they're going to do each of those where you don't know whether you get it. Cause what you guys are describing, I don't know how the hell I would know that it's not the real thing. You know, well, I mean, wouldn't, well, I'll go back to what Ron said, because remember what I said about my first week, right? I was like, what the fuck's going on? And I was like, I, I feel all right. I feel better, I think. Yep. You know? um, and just like you said, Kelsey, but at the end of the day, like Ron's like, hey, dude, if it is a fucking placebo effect and you feel better, ride that train. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whatever works. What your body's telling you, man. You know, and I was like, that's a damn good idea. Right. <laughs> Just enjoy it. Right. So I, I'd like to, I'd like to see the researcher behind some bullshit like that, but they'll figure it out. I'm sure. Well, I don't think a lot of uh, guys that are gals, whatever. I don't think a lot of people in the military realize the, you know, what you were describing earlier, Kelsey, about, well, I think you too, um, Jason, about traumatic brain injury and how that it can happen just in your training mode. Not, it's not just, you know, combat and numbers, obviously the concussion of the brain and the number of blasts that you get, you know, in a combat, uh, experiencing combat is going to be far greater. Uh, but if you're a mortarman, you know, you're an armor, you're, you're an infantry, you're in combat arms, you're probably, going to be around concussions all of the time 
And, you know, uh, like Paul used to talk about that, if you read the manual uh, on the mortar, you'll you'll talk about how you're supposed to you're supposed to be paying attention to the round count, but nobody does that. You know, there's not too many uh, people that actually try to monitor that too well. And of course, we think that's all being kind of tough and the whole bit until you start noticing little mood changes or things that are not going right or you know stuff that you felt, uh, Jason and Kelsey, that made you wake up, wake up and realize, oh my God, there are people getting treatment and they're walking away a whole lot better. Let me go see if this is for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know in Canada, at least, I mean, they're doing tons of research on it. They're, they've been doing it since, uh, when's this one from 2019? I mean, there's research paper coming out constantly now showing individuals, uh, and how close you have to be to a type of concussion blast and really how it works. And they, they now understand it. They understand it enough now to know that that is something that people are going to have issues with. And so I think they're changing the rating in Canada, at least for that there's, it's not called like a TBI. I think anymore when last time I spoke to an individual, they said it was something around operator syndrome or like they had, they were coming up with like some type of uh, topics. I know some SF people were just getting rated with it in Canada. And so it's a newer rating for sure. Um, because I also said the case managers were mentioning that they were also rating that under PTS too, depending, um, just because the criteria changes, right? It's so it's so different. Yeah, I think it's amazing. And I mean, unfortunately, it takes what you guys are going through and, and have been through to get to the point where we finally decide that, okay, we're going to start treating that. But like right. the burn pits being, you know, mm-hmm. the agent orange of this generation, um, the same thing, you know, um, they, you know, you think back in previous wars and Vietnam and World War II and everything else, the number of concussions and you know, the uh, combat, what do they call that? They, um, they used to refer to it back in the day. Um, but it, they, they used to refer to the people that came back with all of these, uh, these challenges and stuff that were, could have been post shell shock. You're right. And, and it could have been uh, from post-traumatic stress, but it very well could have been also from traumatic brain injuries. Oh yeah. We, right. We just didn't diagnose it in the way that they are today. And nor were the treatment mechanisms out there that people are now, you know, whether you call it experimenting with or whatever, there's a lot of good that's happening. Um, I think it's, it's just the government is slow to turn around. You guys are fortunate that you're you're at that point. I think America is probably starting to get there. I worry about countries like usually Great Britain is very far behind. They uh, are. Yeah. Some of these types of treatments. And, you know, I worry about, uh, you know, the effects that it's going to have uh, and how long is it going to take before we start realizing that, you know, whether it was the burn pits, uh, being around uh, a lot of ammunition, um, the uh, concussions, you know, all of these things, we're going to have to take care of these individuals who fought in these, uh, these wars for a long period of time. And, and we're seeing cancer now slipping up and other effects and such that we've got to be really, you know, being paying attention to and be aware of. No, you're right. I think as long as we keep pushing it and pushing it, I mean, for like the defenders of freedom and those organizations and those, uh, Nonprofit organizations, uh, you know, we we had the um, ability to go to one of the banquets, and there are big name people there. There are big name companies there um, that are making very big contributions. Thankfully, uh, and it's amazing the contributions they're making. You know, from their bank accounts to being able to uh, get people like 
Kelsey and me through the organization. And I think the more it echoes with those bigger name people, I know it sucks how it's how it is because little old me and my little TikToker are, you know, we do the best we can with our, you know, mentors and mail. We got reach people and we're doing great things. But at the end of the day, like these people are in the spotlight all the time. Sure. And, they, and when they say defenders of freedom, you know, go help your, you know, the veterans, like that, that's what's going to start changing lives is getting out on those bigger, you know, getting those bigger people to be recognized and recognized. And it's starting to happen. I, I was impressed by some of the people I seen and met at the, that organization. I was like, I told Kelsey, I was like, my redneck ass don't belong here. <laughs> like, Just follow me. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> you'll be fine. You did great. <laughs> No, you're right, though. It does. Unfortunately, that's what I was saying, too. It, it takes not just the numbers, but sometimes it takes deep pockets in order to drive and change the behavior. And we'll, we'll eventually maybe get congress, uh, congressional approval or support. You'll eventually get VA. You'll eventually get those things. But it's individuals like yourselves that are going for participating in these types of um you know, treatments that is going to bring a change and it's going to bring a difference. And I just remember what I was trying to, I was stumbling on was combat fatigue was another term, shell shock, yes. combat fatigue, those types of terms, operator syndrome, whatever you want to call it. It's the effects of what we're putting people through in combat that um, we used to just not worry about and send them away and stuff. But now we, we really need to focus on that because there's a larger generation of individuals who fought in this 20 year war and uh, we're going to start seeing the effects longer term of this, mm -hmm. you know. And if we don't get up in front of it now, the suicide rate, you know, we did the 22 a day, you know, that um, I'm afraid that if we don't get out in front of it with the war ending um, and, and people just know, like, what do I do now? You know, uh, I think the suicide rate's going to unfortunately go up if we don't get out in front of it, too. We're doing... Uh... I'm doing something right now with that. Can I talk? Can I talk about yeah. that? Cause yeah. that's something Absolutely. that I'm pushing really hard. Um, so because my company is, that's kind of what we do is we try to do suicide prevention within our community. Um, I'm glad you brought it up because we're doing the, we're doing this thing called the buddy check pack and we're giving them, we're giving a hundred packs away to the mm -hmm. first people who email us. Like we have a whole bunch of these because we want people to no longer feel alone. And I want people to feel like they don't have to rely on a family member, but they could have some stranger who gave them this bracelet, be able to reach out to them when they're having a hard time. Jason has one. I gave, you know, I, I gave him one. Um, and that's why, okay. So for, for, cause I wanted to talk about it on your show because it's really important because I think over the past two years in particular, especially uh, whether it's military, political, whatever, it, whatever it is. I think we've done a really terrible job of looking after one another mm -hmm. uh, and humanity really has sucked at doing that. And we need to change that. Um, and so because uh, May is coming up and I'm trying to really push, you know, for our people to talk about it openly and honestly, like Jason and I have had really open and honest conversations and him and I just met but he felt safe enough to talk to me about it because I gave him that opening to be like, Hey, I'm here if you need to talk. And sometimes we just need to give the opening. And so, um, the first hundred people that are going to 
email us at orders at brassunity.com. They're going to get a free buddy pack. And I want you to go and I want you to give it to people. I don't need you to buy anything. I just want you to go and to give it to people and to let them know that they're not alone. So hopefully that we can stop a few individuals from taking their life because if anything, we've done a really terrible job at is checking on individuals. So that's, that's really important. And I wanted to bring that up and thank you. That felt like a really good spot to do it. (laughs) No, actually it was great. And you're absolutely right. I think it's a, it's a challenge that we, we constantly talk about, um, not just on this episode, but as veterans overall about, you know, check on your buddy and, and those types of things, but are we really following through? Are we wanting to do that? You know, part of the challenge that we have as veterans is that disconnect. Um, you know, we, in some cases want to get off the grid because we don't want to associate in be a social light and those types of things. Yet the challenge with that is when you start getting to seclusion, those, those deep demons start coming up and uh, those things that you've been trying to suppress come out and, and, and that's not always a good thing. So that's all the more reason why we need to make sure that we are checking on one another and we're doing well and try to embrace them and get them involved into something, whether it's listening to a podcast that's full of veterans or it's, um, you know, going to some kind of event or participating in what you're describing, you know, whatever that might be just reaching out. Yeah. And I'll tell you, um, for me, you know, you know, our listeners have heard my story and, and listened to the day episode and, um, for me and people are like, dude, how do you, how do you be so open about that? Like, that's just, isn't that embarrassing? And I was like, it absolutely is embarrassing. And I'll tell you what, I'm willing to be embarrassed if my embarrassment saves somebody's life and somebody saved mine. Mm -hmm. So I got no pride in that, man. I got, I I want everybody to know, you know, that I've been through shit. Yep. And, you know, I almost ended it, but I had a buddy, period, you know, and we all got bunches of buddies, but we don't, we, we don't reach out to them. You know, we're like, oh man, I'll I'll text him tomorrow. I'm buzzing. I'm busy, whatever. Um, So for me, like, it's just being open and honest about my situation and talking to people about it. I talk to everybody about when people like, when, you know, everybody, I used to be like, why do you have service dog? And be like, uh. I don't know, because they're like dogs, you know, but now I'm like, because I tried to commit suicide and one of my friends saved my life and they gave me a dog to help change my life and give me purpose. Yeah. And, and you should be saying I, that, man. I am. Yeah. And, and I was embarrassed for a while, right? I, I had to go through all that feelings and emotions and, and feel that embarrassment and be like, oh, just because I like dogs or, oh, you know, I, no, I've been fine. I've never done that. But I'm like, if my humility can save one person's life. I'll walk up and down the road telling the story all day. Yeah, because it will though. Yep. I want to. Maybe this will be a good transition time too for you to talk about your podcast, Kelsey. Oh yeah, sure. So it's called the Brass and Unity Podcast. It's what my brand is called too. We um, kind of piggybacked off that. Felt convenient. Um, and uh, my podcast is about you know we talk to everyone from tier one. Um, professional athletes to actors, to everyday people, to first responders, all through, you know, the business world, Uh, talk to all these different individuals and try to really pry at their life and figure out who they are and why they do what they do and how they help themselves when there's been a struggle. Because I think we have this weird perception that social media is reality Mm -hmm. or that 
uh, all these individuals who are elite uh, warriors or business people, they don't struggle, that they don't have issues, that things aren't, you know, they don't affect them. And that's uh, such a lie. And everyone has them. And so I just try to sit there and have a conversation like we've been having now and just try to have someone feel safe enough to have a deep conversation with me and let the world know what happened to them and let them express why they've been able to get better or why they've been able to move forward or how they've changed and, and help themselves and then helped others. And so that's kind of how we, how the company is run as well. I mean, I started it as a form of art therapy for myself to help heal myself and it very quickly became into a support system for other people. And then it kind of became what we call like the BNU army. And then we have group chats and we've got people all over the world. And we work with organizations like, you know, Vet Solutions, Heroic Hearts, Defenders of Freedom, Honor House. Like we work with individuals who are trying to change the world in the veteran community and first responder mm-hmm. community for mental health. And everything kind of goes towards that. And that's kind of what I do with our company, what I do with our podcast. It's what I do with pretty much any project I attach myself to. It's the same motto. We, we, we give 20% away of everything to help these organizations to do the real solid work. Cause at the end of the day, I, I'm not a nonprofit. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist. I'm a vet who's kind of been through something who is not allowing it to, to define my life. And I'm using it as tools to move forward and progress as a human being and hopefully help some other people do that as well. So I try to give myself grace in that I'm not perfect. I'm okay with that. And if I'm open and vulnerable about that, others will hopefully find themselves or see themselves in that and be like, Oh, cool. She fucks Mm. up too. Me too. (laughs) No way. (laughs) And then, you know, with the company, with the buddy check packs and stuff like that, the, the brand donates 20%. It's, you know, we make, we make stuff out of old bullet casings and weird things. I mean, we're cool like that. We're an awareness <laughs> company. It's we're different. Well, I mean, the name says it also what the website brass Yeah. So it's just brass and And then just because uh, you guys were so kind to have me on, we're going to give all your listeners uh 30% off code, Whoa, which is, wow. Yeah, I'm a kind human. I try to be a good person. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. Um, so it's M4, the number 4M30. And if you use that, um, go ahead. We will make sure to donate 20% of those proceeds to Defenders of Freedom because I know, Jason, you would be sad if I didn't pick them. So, you know, any of the uh, proceeds that come Thank from you. that code, yeah, we'll, we'll kick those over. Um, at the end of the day, Brass and unity really just exists to unify, to help others, to be a beacon of light. And that's what I do day in and day out, whether it's with the show or the brand and being able to have a platform like this and and talk to people like you on, you know, mentors for military is a, is an honor, but it's also, it's, and it's an inspiration to me, right? Because you've had such amazing, incredible humans on. So I really appreciate uh, you letting me chat a little bit today. Oh, no, I appreciate you coming on. And I think, you know, your story, again, is one of those that um, not a lot of people, you know, are willing to talk about it, are willing to come forward. And those that do, they're usually uh, very limited. Uh, they don't uh, they don't want to explore too much out there or share too much. And I mean, Jason has broke the mold. I mean, he's come forward and and shared a lot of his struggles, I think would have 
which has caused a lot of people to reach out to us. And, and in the past, though, most of the time people would tell us, no, I'm not going down that path. I'm not going there. I'm not going to talk about those things. Post-traumatic stress was something that people instead of the very beginning of our podcast would say, let's just get clear. I don't have that. I know people that do have post-traumatic stress, but it's not me. Some of those people now have come forward and said, no, actually, I realize I do have post-traumatic stress, Yeah. Um, you know, because again, they started seeing treatments and, and stuff like, you know, what you guys have done and coming forward, you know, it really opened that conversation up like you're describing, Kelsey. So hopefully this platform, your platform um, allows that to continue. It's so important. And I think the types of treatments and things that we talked about in this episode, I'm really excited about those things because whatever it is, I'm with Ron. If it gives you two days of happiness, an hour of happiness, if it gives you something that you can take away that's positive, then then do it by all means. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I talk about <clears throat> on my uh, at Ranger Thoughts TikTok. I, I do the. I brought. I just had one of my really good Ranger buddies, um, Chris Lopez, and I, you know the program, the the show that you're about to 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 post. Um, you know, he, me and him, we have, um, we've, we've seen the, we've seen the other side, um, and, uh, and done some dark things together and, you know, he's an amazing individual and that's why I asked him to do that little skit with me. Cause you know, if you look at, you look at Chris, man, he is a monster of a man, right? Um, and he has spoken out. Uh, like you know he he tell, you know he's like i'm really glad about what i did you know and he's like uh you know he's like i want to do and he started doing that and together we've done some stuff and then we just did that the 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 little skit 30 minutes that you're going to post here soon and, and uh i did that little skit with him you know about getting help on, on the tiktok thing and uh just to look at a man, a mountain of a man, you know, standing there and be like, I've gotten hell before. And I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little dude compared to Lopez. I look like a little munchkin standing next to that. <laughs> but uh, the, the thing is like, you know, Kelsey, to your point, like people think like, you know, those warriors like Lopez and, you know, those different tiers of people and whatever, um, they're just invincible, right? Like there's like this Safad of like, that guy is like, fucking captain america if you will but at the end of the day like we're still human you know i just yeah. threw myself into i just threw myself into that group but i don't know why but, <laughs> um, but uh, you know i uh uh you know I, from whatever i did you know i, I got help with it because i'm still human and i have problems and still getting help with it i got therapy tomorrow for an hour and a half on a phone session like i will continue to get help with it and it is important to for me as a sitting first arm to be able to say, if you're in the army, there is no problems with getting help. Your job is secure. You're not going to get fired. You're going to get time to take care of yourself, fix your mind, get the therapy that you need. If you need to go to therapy, go there and tell your command and tell your chain of command, I'm having problems and my life depends on me doing this and they're going to help you. And if they don't, they need to be removed from that position. And if okay. they don't help you go to the next, that's why we have open door policies as senior leaders. So yeah. if, if don't fear getting help because of your job at the end of the day, 
if some asshole fires you or gives you or sets you on the bench and don't put you back in after you get fixed, you still have your life. And that's what matters the most. Yep. You still have your life. And it doesn't matter whether you're tier one, whether you're conventional, whatever the case may be, if you're going through these challenges and stuff then seek help bottom line, absolutely male, female, doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. And Kelsey, thank you so much for joining us on the military podcast. Really appreciate you joining. And, um, We'll have to definitely get us all together in studio in the future. I know we're having to do this a little bit of long distance because of other circumstances and stuff, but it's so much better. (laughs) It's so much better when you can get into a room and, and actually, you know, have veterans sitting around and just going down a rabbit hole somewhere. So really appreciate it. Well, don't worry. I will. uh, I'll be back here as soon as the book's out and I'll be making sure it's in person. I promise. All right. Excellent. So when does the book come out? Well, no problem. And uh, I, well, we're working with new people in New York, so we're waiting to find out. But um, as soon as I know, you'll know. All right. Sounds great. Kelsey, thank you so much again. Make sure you take advantage of the uh, M for M30 at brassandunity.com code. that will give you 30% off. And Kelsey, Till we see each other again. Farewell. See you later, humans.